To make it in cannabis, first you must dare to. 12 years ago, MJ BizCon dared to unite the global cannabis community, igniting a movement that continues to thrive. The wait is over. Let's grow together this November 28th through December 1st in Vegas. You'll hear incredible stories, see groundbreaking innovations, and forge connections you need to thrive in 2024. But wait, the clock is ticking. Get your tickets by September 28th and save up to $200. And here's a secret. Podcast listeners get 10% off with promo code 23POD10. Don't miss out. Get your tickets at mjbizcon.com. That's mjbizcon.com. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Scott Jennings. He is the founder and CEO of Pantry Food Co. Scott, thanks for being with us at The Talking Hedge. Hey, Josh. Great to be here, man. Appreciate it. Um, so we both just got back from Vegas. Uh, we were at uh, Weed Week. Um, I was at several events, the Alternative Investment Summit, then the Lemon Haze Golf Tournament, then Marijuana Business Conference, and then MJ Unpacked. Um, put in 60 to 80 hours in five weeks. It was a, a long, good week. Um, how was it for you? What did you get out of it? Maybe a couple of takeaways before we jump into Pantry Food Co. and all that good stuff. Scott, tell me a little bit about um, your, your week at um, Weed Week. Oh man, it was, it was packed, right? Like not a lot of sleep. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest takeaways is the cannabis industry is alive and well, I mean, I don't know how many people really, you know, came down on Vegas, 50,000, maybe a hundred thousand, but seeing everybody out in force after going through COVID and everybody kind of working in silos mm-hmm. always makes you feel how impactful this industry is. Right. Uh, you know, me working in a brand, but stepping into MJ biz, you can see anything from extraction to grow to distribution to technology, right? It's just like this industry is booming from all aspects. And I think that's what you get uh, at Weed Week in Vegas. Um, and that's what my team would see. You know, anytime we have a new team member or even a new investor looking at cannabis, we say, hey, come down to Vegas. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be overwhelming. But the one thing you're going to leave is you're going to feel like this industry is on fire. Um, so that was my biggest takeaway. Plus, we had a lot of great meetings, right? It, it's really one of the central spots where all the East Coast operators come out, the West Coast businesses come out, investors from the Midwest are there. So any meetings you want to have, uh, everybody's there. But, you know, everybody's fighting for attention, trying to get 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes with the right partners to uh, piece this industry together to build a holistic industry because right now it's so fragmented, right? And we're all just trying to connect the dots. So those were some of my big takeaways. Nice. Yeah. Um, I was down there. I met with quite a few people um, and I thought I was prepared. I had my chapstick and my sunglasses, but uh, you know, my CBG powder fell over in my pocket. So I just had shoulder surgery and uh, it was kind of a painful uh, a week. I got through a lot. I did a lot. Um, but you know, I couldn't really go out and, and grab, I was busy, so I couldn't go grab some RSO plus that would kind of put me out. Um, I wish that there would have been other alternatives. Cause every time I go into a store, 
it's you know something that's really sweet like a lot of a lot of sugar or there's gluten or dairy um you know i'm looking at this billboard outside my room right here and i see you know stop by this gas station and fill up for you and your car funny thing is when i go in there the only thing that's in there is inflammatory stuff wheat sugar dairy alcohol and i can't do any of that i'm a broken individual <laughs> i've i've worked this meat suit really hard and i've broken myself so uh, trying to get through a, 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 a I almost said tournament, <laughs> Freudian slip. When I try to get through uh, MJ BizCon, it is like a tournament. I mean, you've got to just, it's a freaking marathon, but how, how do you do it holistically um, without adding extra bad stuff to you? A lot of people are drinking at night, um, you know, and so without CBG, I didn't really have anything. So let's transition into Pantry Food Co. because I'm really excited about that and what you're doing. Because when I was at the marijuana show season three in New Mexico, there was an individual there, an ex football player, and he was going with the paleo vegan, uh, dairy free, gluten free, edible option, which I missed from the medical days of in Seattle in 2016, they all had to go away because there wasn't enough room for it. there wasn't enough margins or profits or whatever. So um, I am I'm kind of struggling now trying to get back on on the train with with the, the good cannabinoids. Um, tell me a little bit about Pantry Food Co. Why you decided to go down that uh, path? That I'm I'm excited for you. Uh, what made you decide to do that? And then I just dive in. Tell me a little bit about Pantry Food Co. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'll even bridge with you just talking about the tournament first because it is a tournament. You know, it is it is uh, you know it's it's the playoffs, right? And you need to have your best energy. And I kind of had a, a a similar situation, Josh, when I got down there. You know, I wasn't going to be without my pantry edibles, uh, which are my daily go-to, right? And so I uh, was able to get a, a vape pen early on. And I don't really like to uh, smoke at much anymore, right? I've tried to minimize that that consumption behavior. Um, but you know, interesting enough, that vape pen broke. You know, I was given it. It was broken. I was like, oh, man. I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm out of luck, right? I'm out, I'm out of my... Um, you know, the fuel I need that keeps me balanced, right? And I would say the alcohol, it's a, it's a real, uh, you know, uh, craft to avoid the booze, right? Uh, a soda water with a lime in it, passed off as a tequila soda, can uh, go a long way at some of these events. But I can relate to you, you know, it's a marathon down there, and you need to be your best self, right? And I think that's a good segue into pantry, because as I got older, Josh, I was like, cool, I, I want the most out of life. You know, I want to build a resume that I'm proud of at the end of my, at my end of my days. And we know that certain things like booze can drag us down, right? And when you're not getting enough sleep, it can drag us down. And then when we have, you know, inflammation going on in our body, or we're not getting enough nutrients, we're not going to feel as good as we can to take advantage of the opportunities in front of us, right? And, and cannabis and, and, and Weed Week is a huge opportunity. So, you know, when I looked at cannabis, I looked at it from my personal consumption behavior and I said, geez, if I wanted something healthier, right? If I didn't wanna whip out a joint at a meeting or smell like smoke, or I wanted to, you know, uh, consume in a healthier medium to preserve my lung capacity, you know, when I saw edibles come on the scene down here, it was mostly candy, right? To your point, like mm -hmm. that gas station says fuel up your body, but really they're actually selling you empty calories and things that will hurt your body. So it's the opposite of fuel. 
it's degrading your body from inside. And a lot of people, especially in, in my social circles, call it poison. It's the opposite of fuel. They're serving you poison to increase inflammation in your body. And you're going to, you know, possibly get addicted to that stuff, right? Um, so Pantry was designed to create nutrition, nutritionist products with functional ingredients that people can consume for daily wellness, right? Everybody's got this stigma. That's all about getting, you know, stoned and being on a couch and, whoa, I can't control edibles. You know, I'll tell you, Josh, we meet with so many brand spanking new consumers to cannabis. And we tell them that this is not what you've been trained to think over the last 70 years. You can have a microdose and not feel stoned with benefits for sleep or for brain health, or we're coming out of a pandemic for immune support, right? Or relaxation. All of these are so important. And so Pantry was born to meet those consumers, the female consumer, the athlete, the elderly that don't really look to consume high THC combustible products. They want something that matches their traditional consumption behaviors. And so that's what I've set out to create. And to your knowledge, you know, that's not the biggest space in the, in the industry right now. And you do get squeezed and you do get pressure put on you because a lot of people are peddling candy and are peddling, you know, uh, high THC combustible products. And I'm a small segment over here saying, hello, don't forget about all the consumers that, you know, followed a journey that's considered no better, do better. And they're looking for healthier alternatives. That's a growing segment in the market. And that's a strong loyalty segment. So Pantry's leaning into that and we're seeing that with our customers, but, you know, we're early. And so we're, we continue to carve out our space, but, you know, we're going where the puck is, not where the puck, you know, currently, where the puck's going, not where it is. You know, when I was at MJ Unpacked at the Mandalay Bay last week, um, I noticed that uh, when I was talking with a couple of gals that started a company called Hello Again Products, they they went back to a dispensary. They tried it in college, whatever. Their kids graduated and they're like, oh, let's go try this out. And then all of these 2000 SKUs, they're like, whoa, really easy to narrow it down once you uh, say, okay, I can't, I don't want to do sugar. I don't want to do um, dairy or I don't want to do um, wheat or whatever. Um, once you kind of narrow it down, it's, it's pretty obvious that there's not a whole lot of options there. The, the gals I met with this Hello Again product, they have um, a specific formula um, that works for, you know, menopause and, and it was a suppository, not the preferred method for me. Um, I, I wouldn't want to use a suppository, although I have heard it's a performance enhancing drug. <laughs> uh, long story short, the, the, uh, guy with, um, edibles magazine, uh, took a suppository and then was called to a bowling tournament last minute. And he bowled like a near perfect game or whatever. Wow. So he was like, yes, yeah, suppositories are the way to go. If you're going to go bowling. <laughs> Um, but with, with people who are going back to the dispensary and they're looking at it and going, okay, I don't want a, a gas station option of just, you know, uh, candy flavored chocolate. This isn't even like real chocolate, right? So it's not, I noticed you have like dark chocolate. You got like real cacao. You have real ingredients instead of candy flavored ingredients. So once people understand that, what about the push for accurate dosing and nano and not overdosing? You mentioned um, 
Uh, microdosing is one way of preventing that. But for the rest of us who want like 100 milligrams, we, you know, we try it and then 30, 40 minutes later, it doesn't work. And we take another dose and then you're like, oh my God, this heart palpitation, I'm going to die. Um, do nano, nano emulsion, is that going to prevent overdoses or is it going to make it worse? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a dosage is such a great discussion, right? And we come from a world where it's a one size fits all. Everybody takes two Advil. It doesn't matter if you're 400 pounds or you're 50 pounds, right? And so, you know, we're, we really try to go to it to this from a, um, a customized approach, right? Because, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, this is the one size fits all. But the truth is, everybody's going to react different. And we're trying to lean into that, right? So, uh, some consumers really do prefer two and a half to one milligrams, and they should start there. Heavier consumers may need that 100 to 200 milligrams. But the, no matter if you're in nano or microdosing, you know, you have to wait the accurate time. Where nano comes in, which is usually a faster onset, you know, you'll be able to tell more specifically, okay, it's been 15 minutes. This is where I'm at. Uh, do I need another dose or not? when you take a microdose that's not, you know, fast onset, you may wait 45 to an hour and say, okay, is this where I need to be? Regardless, you know, I think not even just in cannabis, we need to become more in tune with our body. I mean, how many of us are halfway through a sub and we're probably full and then people continue to eat the rest of it, right? So it's like slowing down, it's coming more in tune with your body. And, you know, some consumers like, I just want you to tell me what to do. You know, but more thoughtful, more conscious consumers, I think are okay with that saying, hey, try this out, be in tune with your body. Even some consumers are allergic to cannabis, right? So it's never going to be this, this one size fits all. We really do want to bring, you know, be a steward of your journey and take you through this path. And we learn. So every time a consumer says, hey, that did work for me or that didn't, you start to pair those anecdotal evidence together and you start to form, you know, a generalization of what may be appropriate starting place and, and how to uh, up your dose or when you know you're good. However, it's still going to be an individual approach for pantry, at least, because we want everybody to feel that attention and, and find the right level for them because too little, you're kind of upset. You didn't get to sleep or you're not relaxed to the way you want. And too much, you're you're on the other end saying, oh, you know, this is a little overwhelming. I may get a little bit of anxiety. And so finding that that right level for you is is all part of uh, the goal for, for us. Yeah, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people who need to find the right fit because when I smoke, sometimes I find that my nose clogs up. I think that's a natural um, way for the body to be like, okay, we don't want to inhale this, whatever you're doing, stop. Cannabinoid hypermesis syndrome is when people will vomit from it. Um, their bodies are just probably their endocannabinoid systems may be so dry that when you introduce cannabinoids, uh, it's too much for them. And so they find that hot showers kind of fix that. But with a lot of the empty calories in people's diets, it might just be dehydration. Uh, people are probably incredibly dehydrated. We're not doctors, obviously, but uh, we do see the need for, um, you know, uh, treating your temple better. Uh, most people don't oh. treat their body like a temple at all. They treat it like a garbage disposal. Um, and so they do need to be told what to do. Um, so and and to, to that to that point, just to yeah. jump in there, just like your nose closes up, a lot of people don't think of the, the vehicle your cannabinoids are being carried in. 
So mm. when you have a artificially flavored and, and artificial colored and you know highly processed ingredient as your carrier for your cannabinoids, well, when it gets into your body, your body is like trying to defend against it, right? It's like, holy cow, like there might be something good in there, but it's vast and all this garbage, right? And, you know, that's really interesting to contemplate and, and to explore and be curious about. So, you know, as our chief medical officer will say over and over, you want to eat whole foods, right? So we're focused on whole food ingredients, pairing those cannabinoids with those whole foods. So when it goes in your body, your body's not looking at this as something it doesn't want to absorb, quite the opposite. It's kind of opening up and saying, wow, those ri that rich, dark chocolate antioxidants, I want that. And then there's some cannabinoids in there too. And I think that's just part of us learning what the body wants and what it doesn't and the reception, the receptive nature to what we're putting in it. A lot of people say, well, every body is different. And I want to say like, we all have the same number of digits and organs. And I don't think an inflammatory situation is different than one person or the other. It's just that some people have uh, a better tolerance, I would say, but why would you even want to put an inflammatory, inflammatory, um, you know, product in your body? So when you're talking about whole foods, what you mean is like a whole, like, like Thanksgiving, a whole thing of meat, a whole thing of vegetables, not processed. Basically, if you have to open a box, um, it's probably processed foods. So if people don't understand that it's actually quite simple. Um, for me personally, I always advise people to try and, and get rid of carbs. That means sugar as well. That means pasta. You really like pasta. Use some zucchinis and make noodles with it. Um, that's the easiest transition after about 30 days of doing that. Try to, to remove dairy, obviously remove um, alcohol. And so once you remove wheat, dairy, sugar, alcohol, your body is going to love the fats that you craved yourself. This isn't the eighties people just don't starve yourself with salt and, and fat anymore. Like just, just take it, just take it. It's, it's good for you. And your body will melt the fat off the sugar during the pandemic. I gained 20 pounds. My wife loves sweets and I have no willpower. I mean, that's my thing. I'm a crack addict when it comes to sugar. I know that I can't have it out of sight, out of mind is the best thing for me. So for other people, when I've seen that alcohol and the sugar during the pandemic increase their waistlines, it's not easy. It is, you said um, they could be addictive. I'm saying they're definitely addictive. No. This is engineered to be addictive. It, it really, it really is. Right. And people don't think about that enough. And something we've been kicking around a lot is that natural flavors ingredient that's on everything. Right. And you start to realize that natural flavors is this, you know, hidden ingredient that's really supposed to help a brand, you know, protect their proprietary for formulation in the ingredients, right? But within that, it could be sugar, right? It could be an addictive chemical that was cooked up in a lab. We don't really know, right? But I, if you go back to a layman's test, I can't have one chip. It's kind of like what you say about sugar. It's so hard to just have a little bit because your mouth is exploding saying, I want more, I want more, I want more. And I think that, you know, I'm the same way, out of sight, out of mind, because if it's around and you say just one, you know, then you're really messing with chemicals and really what's going on with your taste buds and, and that chemical reaction to really needing more that's overpowering, overpowering your willpower to say, you know what, I'm good. Um, and, you know, the thing is, Josh, I think we're seeing this. This transition is happening. I think we all wanted to see it sooner. 
But, you know, from McDonald's adding a salad to the menu to large CPG companies adding these vegan paleo brands, uh, they're acquiring them. Consumers are following this journey, know better, do better. And I don't think that's going to, you know, be the toothpaste that goes back in the tube, right? I'm going to raise my kids to know better about what they put in their body. I already know you are. And I think that the more that we educate society around us, people are going to start speaking up for their health more because, you know, let's be honest, also having to rely on the healthcare system, while it may be great and, you know, challenging in the same degree, I think being in control of your own health uh, so that you can live your life in the freedom with, with you know, quality health instead of relying on, on pills or pharmaceuticals or our, our healthcare system is the ultimate empowerment in life. Yeah. Well, I found cannabis, not like a lot of other people. I was running away from big pharma. Uh, I found out at an early age that it was just duct tape. And I wanted somebody to kind of peel the layers back and find out what the problems were rather than taking ibuprofen. Like my buddy who ended up taking 12 a day and died of multiple sclerosis, which I think is from clogging the CB1, CB2 receptor cells and the body can't breathe right, creating an autoimmune disease. And he ended up dying as a result of that. But um, I know that kids can also rebel. If you tell kids like, oh, you just want to do whole foods, whole foods, they'll rebel. But there's good indicators now with technology utilizing like the food babe on Instagram, who will show you what all of these natural flavors really are. Um, Like the red dye and Gatorade is the same ingredient in a a fire hydrant. Like, let's get real. MSG, people don't understand, is that thing that's super hyper um, tasting. They pulled that out of Chinese food, but not like other food, which is really weird. Uh, My dogs, I don't feed them real food because it's so hyper tasting. They will go crazy. Like when I see these kids that are fed cereals with um, glyphosate and sugar and everything else in there. And then you wonder why they're going crazy and have ADHD. Like, I'm not wondering, I know exactly why they're going crazy. And then the parents get mad at these kids. Like, yo, that's your fault. You need to be the one who's reprimanded. So we, we get it. It's consumer friendly. We're at that point, but is it investor friendly? Kind of want to, um, transition a little bit because I've seen companies come and go that make Uh, the world of sense to me. And we've just been harping on all of the benefits to your products at Pantry Food Co. But in the end, will it actually make sense? Like bottom line dollars, like money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bottom line. You know, look, I think that this is such a deep conversation, right? And I I think that it it really comes down to execution, right? I think there's plenty of companies that are going to ride this trend This is a trend that is gaining steam. And when you're investing in a growing trend, you're going to have a tailwind. So as an investor, you always want a tailwind instead of a headwind. And there's a lot of tailwinds for healthier food products. However, what we've seen in many, many industries is that there is a a very high cost to doing business, right? That can put a lot of businesses out. Uh, And you're seeing that in cannabis straight up, like value as I tell investors all the time, it's extraordinarily hard to come by in cannabis because whoever has more money and is willing to spend more to grow their brand, they're gonna they're they're gonna kill value, right, Josh? Like if I offer a dispensary, you know, a good promotion and a great marketing campaign and some bucks, that's a fair deal. However, this candy company right next in line to me may be like here's 20 grand and a bunch of free product and we'll take your team, you know, out to dinner and fly you to Columbia or something, right? So 
value is really hard to come by. And I think that's one of the you know, aspects that I lean on in my history. Coming from 10 years on Wall Street, I'm not just coming at this as a, as a you know, consumer that desires and appreciates healthier products. I'm coming at this as an investor, right? I'm coming at this looking for value for myself and for investors. And when we unpack this category in many different uh, point of views, I think you'll see a much better return. Let's dig in. Let's look at retention. Let's look at loyalty, right? This race to the bottom in the candy, you're going towards 7-Eleven. They don't care if they get the Snickers or the Milky Way or whatever the hell, you're going downstream and people will flop from this candy to that candy. And it's gonna be uh, you know, a very bottom dollar uh, kind of value product. You know, what we're doing is leaning into education because if you can convert a consumer by education and telling them that this product will help them right? They're not only willing to pay more for it, but they're more loyal, right? Because that is a product that they have now put into their daily routine that helps them in a certain way, either on a nutritional or a functional benefit. And that's a much loyal, more loyal customer. However, that's not, you know, the only aspect that you have to start to look into. You know, I've been saying something very specific here in California, which I'm not sure if you've heard of, but you know, essentially when they did this rollout and they allowed every city and every municipality to decide on retail, you've essentially, you know, made the retail rollout very difficult because it's very fragmented. It's relying on every city and municipality to, you know, either onboard or not. However, the production uh, and the supply has really increased. You've created a supply and demand increase in the industry. And with this slow retail, rollout, and you're seeing a lot of brands continue to jam at retail and overpay for growth. And there's many brands that I can go down that have tried to overpay for growth. And when investors start to look at those numbers, Josh, as I'm sure you've looked at before, you know, you're like, holy cow, your top line's great, but how much are you paying for that top line? What is the cost of doing that business, right? And so that's something I've really prided myself with, with Pantry. I said, look, I'm here to grow the business, but I'm here to do it in a responsible and value way, right? I'm not going to overpay for growth. There's no point in getting a 20-year-old who doesn't care about what they put in their body to enjoy pantry. There's just no point. They're going to have pantry today because it's discounted, and then they'll go to a different brand and a different brand, right? So we're swimming upstream. It's been said amongst a lot of brands and a lot of people in cannabis, that a lot of people focus on their, as a brand, you focus on your distro as your client or as your retailer as your client. Those are not my clients. My client is the end consumer and we're building out a direct relationship with the end consumer, which will make our brand more defensible because it's also said that if you sell on Amazon, you don't own the customer, you're leasing out your revenue. So if you sell the dispensaries or big you know, e-commerce platforms, you don't own that traffic. And the second they want to kick you off and potentially launch a competitive product, you're going to lose those customers. You're going to lose that revenue. And I think that not only do you have to be in the right category with the right products, you better have the right strategy because there's going to be, there already is a lot of blood in cannabis and there's going to be a lot more blood. And I've been pounding the table to other brands and investors to get defensible and own their customer because if you're relying on a third party, then you don't really own your business. And you're going to see that revenue kind of disappear as accounts drop certain brands to bring on new brands with fresh capital who are willing to pay more than you were when uh, you had a ton of cash.
You have the luxury, though, of, of working in one state that just happens to be the fifth largest economy uh, by GDP in the world. So it's very unique. Um, so I'm curious, within that realm that you're working, there's, there's a lot of niche foods. Um, how relevant is that outside of that bubble that you live in? And it's a very big bubble. California always leads a lot. Um, they're, they're a trendsetter, they're a trailblazer, they're a bellwether, uh, they're a harbinger. Um, it, you know, with cultivars, whatever becomes popular, uh, Colorado picks it up a couple quarters later, and then Washington gets it after that. Automotive uh, re regulations, same thing. California leads in a lot of ways, but with their niche food, when I was in Vegas, I couldn't find anything gluten-free, nothing gluten-free. So, and it's right there. Like it's so close. It's like a three hour, four hour drive from Cali. So how realistic is it to assume that you can scale outside of California when it seems to be niche? Yeah, I think it's perspective, right? I think what we think is niche is not necessarily niche anymore, right? I think that you're not the only one looking for gluten-free products uh, while in Vegas. I know me in certain meetings, we actively sought out healthier restaurants or smoothie bars, right? Because we didn't want to fuel our body with shit while we were there. However, I think you have to take a step back. And I think it just all comes down to economics, right? Like we can win in Vegas, but at what cost, right? And currently, you know, Vegas is not, it's, it has a lot of overlap with California. So sure, you may get a lot of interested parties down there, but a lot of mindsets change when they're in Vegas. A lot of people are there for the party. They're not there for the health aspect. You know, I would say I'm originally from New York. So I would say in New York, you know, there's a massive healthy scene. You know, people work aggressive hours. They've got families and people in New York care more than ever about, you know, their, their health and taking care of themselves and what they're, you know, feeding kids. I think this is a growing trend in families across America and across the globe. You know, Vegas is a definitely a, a beast of its own because of its, its knife life and everything that kind of circulates around that. So Vegas isn't top of, top of the list for pantry, but anywhere you see a lot of households. And look, we talked to people that lived in Vegas. Now, they may not be the ones overpaying at the dispensary or or paying top dollar at the hotels, so they may not be the, the core target customer. But speaking to a couple of families that live in Vegas, they don't act like the party goers that go to Vegas. They act like, like families. They act like you know people that are growing older, that are taking better care of their bodies and their families. And I know that if we can speak to any family that's on that journey anywhere in America, we'll relate to them as they look to put better things in their body. And you brought it up, and I know this to be true too. Alcohol is damn near everywhere. And there's a lot of people evening that went to Vegas that said, God, we wish we could just have some healthy edibles or maybe have a, have a, have a joint together and get away from all this booze. But, you know, Vegas is fighting it tooth and nail. Those casinos really don't want cannabis inside the hotels right now. And so that's a little bit of a, of, of a tough space, but I don't think it's niche. I think it's uh, families across America that are knowing better, that are doing better. And specifically, they want to do better for their families, right? Their kids. And that's what we hear a lot from, from parents that, that are trying to be better and trying to switch off alcohol or bad, bad food to have more energy or to be more patient or more relaxed to grow their kids in what is classified, or I would classify as probably the most complex 
you know, economic or, or political environment we've lived in or health environment, right? There's so much going on that's hurting mental health. Uh, and we also think, you know, cannabis is a big role in just helping people relax through all these challenges that are, that are impacting our mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I did, did think it was funny when I was at um, David Tran's uh, Zodiac party, I asked for a soda water and uh, our club soda. I guess I said club soda. And he goes, no, I don't, we don't have club soda. And he shows me a bottle and it was soda water. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, so you still kind of have to explain it, I guess, in a town that doesn't do anything but drink, uh, you know, alcohol. Um, but there's a growing, there's a growing demand of us. Josh, I bet if you threw an event that was like no booze, right. And it had a different spin on it. I think you'd get a great showing out of Vegas. You know, there's a lot of people that are whispering, that are either they're they're whispering. Not a lot of people are vocal about. No, I don't really drink. But the smarter people in the room, you'll see them not drinking or having that soda water because people know. I mean, it's not only going to be detrimental to your energy and your meetings the next day. You know, we're learning more and more about it, just ripping up your gut health, right? Yeah. So, how many reasons do you need to understand that? Hey, this is not probably the best way uh, to be handling your health while you're in the playoffs. I know a lot of people who have moved from from the West Coast, you know, Seattle specifically, uh, to Vegas, and they have you know secret sessions, and um, they just not, a lot of them don't drink at all, um, and they don't have a problem with that at all. But you know, they do it amongst themselves, kind of like a little community, whatever. So if you're having to go out and and educate people to sell your products, I find that incredibly challenging. So um, how do you do that, and do brands matter? Isn't it still the highest THC at the lowest price point? So, yeah, I'll take the education process first. You know, I think you really have to lean into your core demographic, right? And that's another thing that we learned. Trying to get a 20-year-old bud tender to educate consumers about healthy ingredients when they personally don't care is not the right channel, right? I've used an analogy saying you could bring the best Happy Van Winkle to a wine sommelier and say, sell this. And they will not be, you know, a very good salesperson for you. So you need to find your gluten-free, your vegans, your paleos, right? Your allergenic people, uh, the people that have back pain or sleep issues or relaxation, right? And you want to reach out to them and you want to educate them directly, right? So we know when we educate these people directly, not only do they have such a high positive feedback about what we're educating them on, they then turn around, which I have done in my own life, which I'm sure Josh, you'd relate to. And you end up being a salesperson, right? Because you're like, this product has helped me. It's amazing. It's got all these benefits for it. You should try it. You should try it. I've done that with yoga studios. I used to do it with RX bar. I did it with gyms. And so that's one of the things we're going to continue to lean into. And we're going to lean into our best customers actually turning into salespeople for us, right? Because all of this business that I've driven for other businesses and not gotten paid for over the years, sure, I was glad to you do it because I love the product or I love the gym or, or the service. However, you know, times are evolving. And one of the greatest entrepreneurs and somebody I definitely look up to is Elon Musk. And a guy with little marketing and, and little spend, and sure, he's got a big you know, following and a big platform, you know, he does a referral business, right? So people get the car, if they really like it and they refer somebody else, and they use your referral code, you get free supercharging, right? I think that's a great way to incentivize your strong followers to participate even more with the brand. 
right? Mm -hmm. So that's one of, one of the big keys there on how we educate and how we convert. And then the loyalty around that conversion is very, very strong. Um, on do brands matter? You know, I think brands absolutely matter. Um, but I would say, you know, again, leaning more to capital markets. I see this question a lot on LinkedIn, like do brands matter? Do brands matter? You know, brands matter, but probably more than what brands matter is staying in business, right? So a lot of people think, oh, my brand matters and it's the best. And look, you run out of money and you're not on the shelf. The consumer most likely moves on, mm -hmm. right? Convenience is so critical, you know? If I'm looking for something at the store and they didn't have the Nikes, I'll buy the Reeboks, right? Like people are looking for convenience more than ever. Time is our most precious asset. And I think to build a brand, you need to be here for the long haul, right? It's not a, it's not a get rich quick, you know, let's build a brand and exit. We've seen many uh, not to be named, you know, whether it be a big MSO or a brand, try to just say, hey, look, we built a brand, look at all this hype, right? But it's built on stencils and, and hot air uh, and it comes crashing down after they exit and then the prices get reverted down because they thought they built a brand but really it was high octane built on very flimsy sales not repeat customers so to me what i talk about is like hey we're going to do responsible growth we're going to be around for a long time you know if you know the story about nike or or maybe pepsi you know in their first years they sold dozen units, a couple dozen units, right? It's not about building a brand overnight. It's about building that, that connection with the customer over a long period of time, building that trust and that loyalty. And I think through those metrics, you're going to really build a brand. However, I always tell people we are in an environment that people want to get sales as fast as possible. I don't think you're really building a brand. You're just trying to sell to anybody who will buy your product with the strongest discount, that's not a loyal customer. That's somebody that will give you a sale today, be gone tomorrow. And, you know, Dr. James Richardson, who wrote a great book, uh, you know, how to ramp your brand, he'll say it, you know, some of the best brands in the world have to build retention from the early days, which I think has been lacking in a lot of brands that are trying to, trying to grow. And so I come at this from an angle that I think a lot of people don't from a financial perspective and saying, look, yeah, you, you want to have top line sales. Yeah, you want to have access everywhere, but you need to stay in the game to build that brand over the long haul. And I think a lot of brands are just trying to, you know, hit that high octane, hit that exit window. And, and uh, I just think there's so much risk in that. And that's, you know, not the appropriate way to build a brand. Right. We, we have a different uh, perspective, a very unique approach coming from Wall Street. Uh, where we can see Aurora and Canopy writing off a billion and $3 billion from malinvestment, the investors don't care because they're not going after the, the risky equities. They're going after the IPOs and then that's not good enough. So now they're going after cryptos and they, it's just the, the, the depreciation of our currency, the quantitative easing and the, the purchasing power that's been diminishing and replaced by inflation. And it's just the, the greed, not greed, but the, the need to have higher and higher returns that haven't kept up naturally is, is kind of what's directing all that. And we're kind of, I would imagine you're sitting in the back uh, seat, kind of just looking uh, as wide-eyed as I am. Um, and one of the things that's kind of been transitioning is th through uh, the pandemic um, is online sales. 
So that's been kind of having direct sales. And yet you have $25 million being uh, traded for a license in Phoenix. So I'm curious to see from, from your financial Wall Street perspective, circumnavigating these massively expensive licenses seem like a phenomenal investment opportunity. It also seems like it's going to piss off a lot of people. What's your take? Damn, Josh, I feel like you're in my head. <laughs> you know, I mean, retail has been, you know, when you're on Wall Street, look, retail has been struggling for years, right? Uh, it's no secret. And you're seeing huge money going to retail. And it's been quite baffling. And when you're in the environment, you're like, shit, am I the one that's wrong? Right? Like all this money going to retail and these big tickets, um, definitely make you think that you're wrong because the truth is on wall street it's e-commerce that's kicking ass it's those businesses that you really want to look at because they have such high growth however you know cannabis had to come online and it came online first through the retail channel right so i think that value came up and spiked and i think that you're going to see that value diminish very uh very quickly and I don't say that with any kind of pleasure because I know a lot of people in the retail business and I want them to continue to grow and succeed. Um, I just, you know, when I look through the consumer angle, you know, here in California, everybody fought me about five years ago when I started getting groceries delivered. And they're like, ah, I love going to Whole Foods or I love going to the grocery store. I said, my, my ass, dude, like once you get it delivered and you have that convenience, I'd like to see you go back. And once people get time back, it's arguably hard, very hard for them to go back. You know, nobody got a smartphone and went back to a BlackBerry, maybe, maybe a few, but not, not in a general majority, right? So, you know, I've been working on something really important to launch a new marketplace in California. And I'm doing this because of, you know, what's going on in retail, not only because I find it to be not the most attractive channel for consumers. Consumers appreciate the convenience of getting things delivered online, um, but also because there's an, an environment and, a, and an ethos around retail that retail is really the holy grail, right? I look at retail as the jumping off spot. Like you need to go retail, then you need to pounce into e-commerce as fast as possible, whether you're a brand or a retailer. However, you know, a lot of people are heads down saying, oh, retail, 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 we're just going to focus here. And I think that's, you know, a short-sighted view, because if you take a step back and you look in traditional commerce, you know, everything's going online. And even new brands that are launching, they would be hard-pressed to sell to an Amazon or a Whole Foods or, or through a retail channel. They usually focus on their e-commerce channel first, owning the customer, collecting that data, learning about what they need, the feedback and optimizing that channel. And then maybe they go out to, you know, third-party retailers and distributors um, and sellers. So I, you know, I, I think that retail from an investor standpoint, I think there's a place for it. I, I struggle with comps, you know, these really expensive retails, like what's the comp for that? You know, I, I liquor stores are, you know, boarded up and with bars on the windows and, you know, I'll even, share more, which is like, you know, retailers always want to do event activations at stores. And I always always said, well, look at that environment. Imagine if you went to a liquor store and they had a, had a DJ or a taco truck outside. I don't think I'm hanging out, right? I came for, you know, the booze, I'm getting it and I'm getting out, right? I think we really need this next 
segment to open up, which I think is commingled, right? I think it's experiential retail. And then I think it's lounges or, or restaurants or venues of some sort where you can have a social aspect, right? However, they're trying to take highly regulated retail stores and make them experiential. And when you put on your investor cap, you know that anytime you're swimming into such strong headwinds or flying into such strong headwinds, which are the restrictions around retail, trying to make that experiential, your value is going to go down, right? And it's also not what the consumers used to. They're not used to hanging out at, at, at you know, Ralph Lauren or J. Crew, you know, or the liquor store. You know, retail is meant they go in, they look at products, and they get out, right? So, I think that retail is here. You know, I'm specifically looking to open a retail store in my home state of New York because I understand the value in the early stages. However, I think what we've seen in traditional commerce take 20 years to go from brick and mortar to where we are with e-commerce today. I think that's going to happen at breakneck speed in cannabis. You're seeing it here in California. And, you know, stay tuned in the new year. You know, Pantry will have some exciting, you know, updates about how we're approaching e-commerce to better provide convenience and solutions and consistency to our consumers in California. I think uh, COVID has increased so many things, work from home, um, online delivery for the industry, hopefully cannabis cafes, um, hopefully more healthy food options. It's increased everything by about a decade. So, um, you know, maybe next time I go down to Vegas, I won't have to look around for more healthier options. I don't know, but um, at least maybe you guys over at Pantry Food Co. will be uh, scaling, expanding, hopefully see you guys on the West Coast. Are you guys actively looking uh, for uh, strategic partners in other states to kind of expand or license your SOPs? Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways out of out of MJ Biz or, or Weed Week. You know, we're in Colorado, Canada, and California, and we're getting strong looks at, across the nation. Uh, have offers in Michigan and Missouri, and we're talking to a couple of big MSOs to not really, you know, we I never liked to get the word license, right? We're in partnerships, right? Everybody's got a, a place to uh, to to provide value. And so we're working on some big deals with some big partnerships some big MSOs, um, but it's going to have to come down to creating a win-win solution for us both because as East Coast operators are learning and West Coast operators are learning, we're stronger together. Just be careful who you let into your camp because some people may not want the best for you, but if you can align with really great people and complementary assets or, or uh, organizations or companies, there's a lot of value to unlock there. So keep a lookout for us in Michigan. Um, one of my partners is from Missouri, so we're excited to get back there. And we're knocking on the door of Mass and obviously patiently but eagerly waiting uh, for New York to roll out so we can so we can bring it back home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely want to do some due diligence. It's amazing how often that doesn't happen. Uh, I'm, I've been writing a bill for um, cannabis cafes in Washington State for a while and one of the things is to, to look at whoever is in the Senate or House to make sure that their voting record reflects their interest in your bill, because they will add themselves just to crash it. So I think that goes with totally. any industry, though. Um, it, it goes with any industry. And, and you're right, people say one thing and do another thing. Um, so you got to be really cautious about that. And, and, you know, they said one thing that's sure in cannabis is that change is constant. Well, I'd say one thing that's certain as well is that 
lawyers are going to make a killing because there's already a lot of lawsuits and there's more coming. And it just speaks to people rushing to a marriage before they get past those first couple of dates. So date before you put the ring on. Yeah. I've seen people spend six figures uh, thinking that a lawyer was a business development person and just having them write contracts that went nowhere. And I was thinking, man, I should have, I should have passed the law, uh, the, the bar, because that would have been a lot easier than doing, a, you know, advising and consulting and business development, just be a lawyer and then just take money and do nothing. It'd be great. Uh, you get now, the bill for an email. Yeah. All right, Scott, where can they find you at? Where are you at social media, uh, website, all that good stuff? Yeah, go to our website, pantryfoodco.com. You know, we put a lot of information up there. If you're a new consumer, we've got a dosage calculator that can take you through what appropriate dose might be for you. Uh, we've got a lot of information on our blog. We really pride on leading with education on our website, and you can navigate everything from there. If you need to reach out to me, I'm at scott at pantryfoodco.com. And Josh, man, appreciate you having me on this great chat. Appreciate it, Scott. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Cannabis Health Radio is a podcast about stories from people around the world who have used cannabis to deal with serious ailments, many of them life-threatening. My name is Ian Jessup. My co-host, Corey Yelland, is no stranger to the devastating emotional impact faced by so many people receiving a death sentence diagnosis from a doctor. Told she only had months to live with anal canal cancer, Corey researched and immediately began using cannabis oil to eliminate her cancer and has been cancer-free for more than a decade. She told herself that if it worked, she would spend the rest of her life helping others, which she does tirelessly every day. When you listen to our podcast, you'll hear many stories like Corey's, along with others who have used cannabis oil for many more ailments besides cancer, such as chronic pain, PTSD, MS, and many, many more. As one of our guests said, your podcast gave me the confidence to save my own life. We regularly get messages from listeners who have heard our podcast and use cannabis to solve a serious health issue of their own or that of a loved one. We hope you listen to these stories and be as inspired and moved as we are with each and every episode.